this December 7th through 9th. Check out the EdUp Experience podcast live and in person in Doha, Qatar for the World Innovation Summit on Education. We will be documenting the ideas and innovations from today's most influential global education leaders. Check them out at wise-qatar.org and follow the EdUp Experience podcast for more information. Yay! I'm Liesl Dees, Continuing Education Director at San Juan College. As a founding partner of Unmuddle, we are excited about the new options for students and community colleges. Unmuddle.com provides a unique and student-centered marketplace for working learners to build their skills, redeem their courses for credit, and directly fill workforce needs of employers. Unmuddle streamlines the pathway between education and employment, providing access to a one-stop course-to-jobs marketplace. Welcome back, everybody. This is the EdUp Experience podcast, where we make education your business. Dr. Joe Salustio here with you again, better known as Joe to all my friends, which is everyone. Um, I just do the whole doctor thing at the beginning because it sounds official and, you know, that's that's what it is. But then we go on official around here at the EdUp Experience. We like to bring in surprises. We have surprise guest hosts. We have surprise sound effects to introduce those guest hosts, as I will do now. For my guest host today, Dr. Julie White, president of Pierce College, Fort Stillicum. Hi, Julie. Hi, Joe. That was quite the introduction. Thank you so much. Probably I could have gone bigger, right? (laughs) I was waiting for the trumpet fanfare. I had that, well, you know, I was going back and forth. I had, you know, the amazing Julie White, right? The amazing. So, and then I played with that one for a little while. I had, uh, I had a bunch, but you know, this is, this is what I went with. Um, you know, I thought to myself, should I have Julie back on another episode? And you performed so well. I said, access granted. So here you are again. Welcome back, Julie. Are you excited for round two with me on an experience podcast? Or is this just absolutely shenanigans in your day? And you're like, I need a mental break. So you come hang out with me. <laughs> you know, maybe a little bit of both, Joe. Can I say that? <laughs> oh, you're fitting right in there, Julie, fitting right in. <laughs> well, we have an amazing guest today. I'm really excited to talk with her. I know you are too, uh, Julie. I'm going to make sure that uh, I start off on the right foot here by introducing her to an applause. And here she is, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Lori Borowicz. She's president of Kishwaukee College. Lori, how are you? I'm great, Joe. Thank you. And Julie, so nice to meet you. Welcome to the ridiculousness that is the Edip experience. Lori, are you excited to be here? I am really excited to be here. Well, we are excited to have you. So let's, let's level set Kishwaukee College. Where are you? What do you do? And how do you do it? And then we're going to get into it, Lori. Wow, I'm ready. All right. So we are Kishwaukee College and we are located 60 miles west of Chicago, straight west of Chicago, and about 45 miles south of Wisconsin. And we are a community college. Six miles down the road from us is Northern Illinois University. So we do a lot of reciprocal programs with Northern and have students who go back and forth and are very proud that a number of our students transfer there to finish their degree. Uh, We are a two-year community college, serve approximately 5,000 students a year, offer associate degrees, and about 80% of our students are transfer uh, students and about 20% are career and technical education students. That is quite uh, an uh, uh, introduction of your college. I'll tell you, I go to your website, but before I ask you the very important question that I have, I, I get there to your website and the first thing is Kish, right? It's, it's like K-I-S-H in a big kind of video introduction. And my first thought was, give your life a Kish. Come get educated at Kishwaukee <sighs> College, right? Uh, and I, 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 was I like, love it, Joe. Give yourself I a Kish. It. Or, or some version of that, like, and I thought that would be really slick, like, you know, can't help but give yourself a kish when you come to Kishwaukee College and learn. Anyway, um, that's my, my um, uh, terrible insight for the day, but you might be able to make something out of that because it's there already. And I thought some little slick tagline right under there would be super cool. 
You know, when I came here, Joe, about five and a half years ago, it'll be six years in January, um, Kishwaukee College, our email was still Kishwaukee College, everything was Kishwaukee College, but we fondly are referred to as Kish by the locals. And so I said, let's start to capitalize on that because it, it's just warm, it's friendly, it's it was familiar to people. And I'm like, let's just call ourselves Kish. So we shortened our email to kish.edu and made some changes. And uh, yeah, so with our new web design last year, we decided to go with Kish. And it's, it, it's what a huge difference. I can't even imagine what it would have looked like all spelled out like that. I think, you know, this is a, a good point. Marketing is really important. Presentation is really important. You have to attract students to your college or university. You do that with visuals, with, it has to be, you know, we, we are in a business and for lack of a better way to say it, you have to attract a customer, the customer pays and you deliver something to them, whether it's state funded, whether it's private, whether it's public, whether it's for profit, whatever. So that messaging matters, doesn't it, Lori? And how, is that something that you focus on all the time as messaging and presentation? Absolutely. Um, I have a great uh, executive director of uh, public relations. She oversees all of our marketing efforts as well as our foundation. She's also the executive director of our foundation, and she does a really excellent job of connecting our college and our communities. I mean, that's how we serve people. That's how we get enrollments, but, but that's how we meet our greater mission of serving our businesses and, and serving residents is, is to connect with them. So it's all about um, the public relations piece of it and the marketing end of it and making sure people know you're there and know what you stand for. And I really do feel like uh, we do an excellent job of helping people understand um, what we're about. You do. Uh, one of the things I like in particular, immediately when I was looking through your site, all right, I, I go down and I see two degrees, three years, and I immediately go, okay, now we're talking, right? This is what I think when we're talking about the value of higher education, where we're talking about time-bound programs, acceleration, you know, being able to progress and stack, that's that's the idea, right? You can get your associate, you can get your bachelor's and do it in three years and have these accelerated programs. How important is that to, to Kish? And, um, and is that, you know, more, more and more students looking at that acceleration? So we're very proud of the fact that 25% of the juniors and seniors in our district high schools have a dual, some sort of dual credit experience um, while they're in high school. That's our current enrollment percent is 25%. And so the two degrees in three years really grew out of a conversation I had with uh, two peers uh, in the city of Sycamore, which is one of the cities that we serve in our district, where we were talking about, we all had sons, freshmen in high school. And we were discussing uh, the dual credit opportunities at Sycamore High School and how we help parents understand and young people understand the value of taking those dual credits and that what that means for them as they are degree seeking um, eventually, whether it's their associates and especially your bachelor's degree, like how much those dual credits in high school help students get a leg up. So we started on an ambitious plan to really um, articulate these opportunities, these dual credit opportunities with all of our district high schools and mapped out, we have pathways on the high school, which are on our webpage, Joe, which you probably can see where we clearly say, you take these dual credit classes in high school and you could take these AP classes that are offered at your high school, or you can take additional credits at your high school and you will get a year of college done while you're in high school, then come to Kish and finish your associate's degree and then transfer on to get your bachelor's degree. And in three years, you will have a bachelor's degree. So it's um, something that we're very proud of. Our, our biggest partner again in that is Northern Illinois University, showing students how they start at, I'll use Sycamore again, start at Sycamore, come here, and then um, end up with their degree. And my son, who's now a junior, and he, this year, is in nine dual credit classes, credits worth of dual credit at his high school. Wow. And he'll take a few classes next summer. And in uh, last night, again, we were talking, we're going to start the college visit next week, um, the college visits. And he was saying, now I'm going to be a sophomore when I go to college, right? And I said, 
you are. So I, I think it's a wonderful opportunity. There's so much research, and I'm sure Julie can speak to this too. There is so much research on how beneficial it is for young people to have a college experience while they're still in high school. It helps them be college and career ready. The success rate, the, the retention rates, the graduation rates all increase when young people are able to have a college experience while they're in high school. So there's just a lot of benefit and we thought, what the heck, let's market it. Let's put it front and center on our website. Let's make it really clear um, how students do this. And I know from experience that when it's registration time in the high schools, those high school counselors are touting, hey, take these dual credits, look at the website, it's going to show you how you get your degree done early. You blew my mind, and I'm going to pass it to you, Julie, but I want to just make a comment because you just scaled how marketing and messaging works. The education piece is really confusing. It's confusing. You know, you tell a student, hey, look, you're going to get dual credit. And if you take these classes and they're like, really, what does that even mean? Uh, how, how does that apply to me? I always thought that students work two degrees, three years. Not only are you training the student to understand that, but you're scaffolding that marketing. And a guidance counselor at a high school turns around and says, you can get two degrees in three years. I mean, what a way to market by putting the words, so to speak, in somebody else's mouth in a way that they can communicate it. I love what you just said. And Julie, I know that's something that you guys are working on too, but it, it just blows my mind how confusing and inside baseball we make higher ed. And externally, people just go, huh? You know, and we have to really do a better job of communicating the great things that we do. I love that. Um, yeah, dual credit is uh, really important to us as well. And I love, Lori, as Joe said, how you made it really transparent. Um, we find sometimes that when we don't do that, we have equity gaps because we find that students who have access to resources, who have uh, families who are familiar with college are accessing that and others may not be. So um, huge kudos to you for making that really transparent. And I, I have a lot of questions for you, but I'll, I'll follow up with, with this one on um, the transfer pathways. So carrying that pathway all the way from high school uh, through to Kish, uh, onto the workforce and or uh, transfer institution. So I'd love to hear some of the things you're doing to strengthen transfer. We know that sometimes community colleges can get lost uh, when they transfer a little bit. And it's really important to have that strong relationship between the receiving institution and the sending institution. So I'd love to hear more about your efforts with transfer. Sure, that it is so important. And I'm, we are working on it every year. We work on it a little bit more. And in fact, we're just implementing the transferology software, which we know will help us. So when I came to Kish, one of the things I heard in the communities is, yeah, I went to Kish and I took classes that didn't transfer. And I thought, oh boy, we gotta, we gotta tackle this monster because nobody wants to pay for or take classes that don't work with them in um, securing their degree. And we all know that this happens just because students come in and they're undecided or they change their major. I mean, it happens at four-year universities just like it happens in transfer. Um, but I really wanted us to start focusing on um, how we help, again, making it transparent. You don't have to sit down with an advisor. You can do this on your own because, right, 18, 19, 20-year-olds, they're independent thinkers. They want to figure it out on their own. We've got technology. So we put pathways, a number of pathways on our website that clearly show if you want to major in accounting, here's the, here's the courses you take. And again, we picked our biggest transfer institutions and we picked our most popular majors. And um, we made that very clear. So, so I would say, Julie, to strengthen our transfer initiatives, we've developed pathways. We are now implementing guided pathways at our institution. I would say on a, on a smaller, less formal level, we've been doing it, but we are now going to do the official guided pathways model. Um, and like I said, the software, the transferology, so that students clearly see, if I take these classes at KISH, um, these, this is how it will transfer for me to receiving institutions. Um, I shared with the board, my board of trustees, you know, when we look at um, data and data is a big deal to me. I just recently presented on it at ACCT, um, how we use data for our decision-making. Um, we as community colleges, when we look at uh, data out there on how do our students do in attaining bachelor's degrees after they leave us, um, 
it's not as high as we all like it to be. And, and we have these conversations at our institution about how do we do our part? We are a great viable alternative, a great starting point for people who want to get a bachelor's degree. So let's make sure that, that we help them to do everything we can to secure that degree at the end of the day. So those are our biggest initiatives right now. That's great, Lori. And you know that um, I know that uh, the research shows that at least two thirds of community entering community college students intend to transfer, and uh, a lot of them don't make it. But the things, uh, but they have the capability to, if we can support them through the kinds of efforts that you're talking about, those guided pathways, uh, appropriate software and technology. So uh, I'm going to be checking out that transferology tool right when we hang up. So um, I appreciate that. Um, thanks, Lori. Uh, Joe, over to you. Yeah, I wrote the same thing down. I'm like, what is this transferology business that's going on here? And, I, and I'm on there and I'm checking it out and I, and I see it's really interesting. But that makes me, brings me to the question of technology to you, Lori. And talk to me about technology as a part of your strategic planning. Um, how essential are technology upgrade? You, you, well, let me ask it like this. You have so many competing priorities right now, right? COVID and re, getting students re-engaged in, in community colleges that have disappeared, especially your lower economic students and students of color that may have gone on to work or support families. You got to re-engage students. You have um, potentially have enrollment declines to deal with. You have a student demographic cliff. You've got technology. You've got, where does technology sit in those strategic priorities and how do you, how do you look forward? I know it's a tough question, but I want to know. Well, I want to know the answer. Honestly, Joe, I think technology is um, front and center and, and it has been pre-COVID and oh my, <laughs> it really is post-COVID. Um, we have invested heavily in technology uh, at Kish. When I arrived, we weren't even doing electronic transcript requests. I mean, we were very far behind. We, we really weren't using technology for anything. And I came um, and became a president in Illinois during their, uh, after the first semester of their two-year budget impasse. So with no state aids coming in and um, not having made a lot of changes as an institution, um, we, we found quickly that the only way we were going to be able to do what we had to do to serve our students uh, with less staff is to invest in technology. And uh, knew I was fortunate to come from a college where we used a lot of technology and online instruction was a pretty big deal at the college. I came from North Central Technical College in Wausau, Wisconsin, and we were doing a lot of things there related to technology. And so we, we implemented things um, to, to get ourselves set up. And we had about 20% of our um, course, courses, our enrollments prior to COVID were online. So I felt like we were ready to go, but we continue um, to really invest in technology and will continue to use it. I do think it's the future, especially as our students. This fall, 45% uh, of our students are never stepping foot on our campus. They are all online. 55% are either, um, you know, fully face-to-face, -face, um, which is the minority of class. You know, the majority are then doing the hybrid where they're coming maybe for a chemistry lab or, you know, some of our courses like welding and auto, they are face-to-face -face and they need to be face-to-face, -face. but others, um, but even those, I got to give credit to those instructors during COVID, they even figured out ways to do things online. So pretty amazing the leaps we took, um, especially regarding technology uh, during COVID. Um, but I think it really is our future and it does help us provide a better student experience. Um, less room for human error, um, better um, really advising and helping people stay on a course and, and finding the services they need. So you have, you know, we have high touch uh, I came out of student services, so I'm very much a student advocate, um, but, but at the same time, we know that our, our learners are 24-7, and they aren't just wanting help and support during the hours of 8 and 4, so we've got, we've got online tutoring products, and we've got, you know, just all things that, that can um, help support our students. They have access to it when they need it. I like that a lot. Um, what about 
barriers to technology, though. Maybe this is a question for both of you. I'll ask you, Lori, and then Julie, ask you to, to add this in. I mean, state funded, you've got tight budgets, you have competitors, let's just say competitors, you have a private universities that maybe have endowments, they can, somebody can come in and drop 2 million bucks in unrestricted funds, and they can go out and buy a technology and blah, 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 blah. You have for profits that that can invest heavily in technology. Is there barriers to adding that cutting edge, tech, cutting edge technology because of tight, tight bootstrap budgets? So, um, you know, you would think being uh, as rural as we are, that we would be uh, predominantly a white college, but we are 45% diverse. So uh, definitely face uh, a, a wide range of barriers for our learners. And um, we are less than a percent below uh, being, a, we are at 24%, 24.1% uh, Hispanic Latinx population. So we are almost a Hispanic serving institution. I'm sure next year we will be. Um, so we have, we deal with a lot of barriers uh, to technology. We have taken the, the higher education relief funds that we've been given through COVID and we've been doing, we, we have a, a laptop lending program. No one has been denied devices who needs them. Um, our foundation has been amazing as far as paying for internet service, buying hotspots. Um, this semester, our students have no textbook costs. We took some HERF money, the higher education relief money, and we bought, uh, we, we started a um, library of textbooks. We will continue it in the spring. Um, we are paying for, we have a childcare uh, on our campus and we are paying childcare costs this semester. We are paying bus service costs. I mean, we are trying to pull out all the stops to make it barrier free. And, and students certainly can be on our campus to use um, computer labs and you know their devices, but, but it really has been amazing. About every three weeks this summer, my IT director would send me an email and say, hey, can I, can I have another $20,000 of the HERF money to, to buy a, another 100 laptops or I, I'm not doing the math very well, but you know what I'm saying, that we just continue to get the requests that it pass word of mouth. And I, I feel like we've really been able to support the technology needs of our students. And so I'm not hearing, um, I'm not hearing that it's a barrier at this point. Unmuddle. Have you heard of them yet? If you haven't, you've got to check them out at unmuddle.com slash colleges. They are disrupting the community college scene. Their course to jobs marketplace is a modern way for community colleges to compete with the big players. Check them out again at unmuddle.com slash colleges. That's U-N-M-U-D-L dot com slash colleges. Lori, that's amazing, the work that you've done. Um, We've done something similar, and although we're located outside of Tacoma, Washington, our service district goes all the way to Mount Rainier, so that gives you a sense of how rural uh, some of our district is, and uh, we found that even giving some students hotspots actually wasn't enough because there wasn't enough infrastructure, so there's uh, some movement in the state to work on that, um, so I appreciate that, and the um, you know, the the barrier institutionally for technology implementation that I found has been there are so many players in the space and uh, discerning who are mission aligned. Um, and I think that your leadership experience really gives you a good opportunity to do that with the students best interest at heart, as you said, because I really picked up on when you said you had been a vice president of student services, uh, which is my background as well. Um, and so I, uh -oh, I, wanted to, I better get out of this conversation. I know that's right, Joe. Um, oh, I, we'll just be so loving to you, that's Joe, right. and so friendly. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. It's all good. I, I, I've served students for a long time, one way or the other. I'm with you guys. That's for sure. I mean, that's what we're all here for, right? Um, so, but I, you know, kind of transitioning into the leadership realm. There was a time when folks in student services weren't necessarily um, considered qualified for a college presidency. And I think we happen to think we have the exact right credentials. Um, but could you talk a little bit about that and that transition? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I have some peers 
who also were vice presidents of student services with me, who are now presidents. And, and you know, we see it all, right? In student services, you serve from before they've come in the door through placement offices and graduation and transfer services. So I feel like it really prepares us well. I'm very fortunate. I had a, an amazing president that I served under for six and a half years, and she made sure that I had some um, good experiences. I was an adjunct instructor at our college in our business program, and I taught some leadership. And, and so that kept me in touch and I loved those experiences. And I I taught a hybrid class and I taught an online class, um, but I, I also supervised a, um, a, uh, a high school, an alternative high school at the college. We had an alternative high school that I oversaw. I actually came to being uh, uh, working in uh, the, the technical college I came from. I was a high school guidance counselor prior to that. So have a background in um, that world. And so that's my passion for dual credit and, and all of that. But I absolutely feel like uh, it, it, it's been a good training ground for me. But I also recognize and did recognize and continue to recognize now that as a student services professional, we really have to understand instruction and pedagogy and we have to, so for having those experiences is really important as well. But I do think it, it prepares us to, to understand the whole student for sure. I think just the crisis management too, that comes along with being in that kind of a role, you know, and uh, listen, we do have a lot in common. I was a high school English teacher as my first job. And I always say it taught me everything I needed to know basically for the rest of my life. Um, those kids taught me so much. Um, so thank you for sharing that experience. I gotta be, I gotta be honest. I agree with you guys so much and I, I'm going to get on my soapbox just for a minute because I think it's, it's almost borderline ridiculous. If we look at a higher education presidency in a traditional path or the traditional path of like, you know, you're a teacher or a professor and Dean and provost and president, I think that is one way to get there. But if we don't open up other pathways, we're going to fail to serve the consumer of the future because you have to have different ways of looking at things. The technology is, as you said, is becoming ever more important. Um, I love that question, Julie. I love the answer, Lori. But now it's time to find out just a little more about Lori. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask two questions of Lori. She gets to pick which one she wants to answer, and Julie has to answer the other one. So, uh, <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> so that's, that's the way we're going to do it. You ready for this, Lori? I'm ready. I got to get my game show music on. Ready? Here we go. Lori, here's your two questions. Number one, if there was a song playing every time you walked into a room at Kish, and per perhaps there is one, what would your entrance music be? That's question one. Or if you don't like that question, tell me about your dream vacation, college president vacation series. Jeez. Yeah. Dream vacation. I would love to go on vacation. So I mentioned the fact <laughs> that I, um, I have this um, 16 year old, right? He's a junior in high school, but I also have three grandchildren. And so I, I had children in my twenties and then I had a baby in my forties. <laughs> yeah. Double applause. So I spent, I spent a, most of my life parenting. And so vacations have been Disney world and <laughs> wherever else you take children. Um, so I am so, my husband and I are so looking forward to uh, a dream. So we've talked about a couple of things. Um, wine country. Uh, I'd love to come out, especially uh, Northern California, Southern Oregon, um, Pino, some Pinos. <laughs> Julie, I'll get out your way. Um, also, I'd love to do a European river cruise, um, beaches in Hawaii. I can think of a lot of places I'd like to go where there's not a lot of kids. So uh, soon, soon, um, year and a half, and that son of mine will be in college, and my husband and I will be set to sail. Love it. I love it. And what I love even more than that is asking Julie what her entrance music it would be. Julie, over to you. I just have to tell you, Joe, I did not sign up for that. <laughs> <laughs> I but like I to say we keep people on their feet here at the Edit Experience. <laughs> I do have an answer. Um, and I have to give a little context. So the, the music would be Fighter by Christina Aguilera. And not, 
not so much in reference to the college, but just I feel like, uh, you know, it hasn't been easy. I'm a first generation college student. Um, I didn't have a lot of social capital throughout my higher education experience. I feel like I've kind of had to like um, be, be scrappy and work my way up and um, have had some doubters as we all do. And so every time I hear that song, Fighter, I just, um, that resonates with me. So that would be my entrance song. Amazing. Love it. All right. I see. Look, now we learned about you guys a little bit, and and we're we'll we'll it, it says a lot about the <clears throat> role of the community college president in today's day and age. And I want to ask you, Lori, how important is the college degree in your in your area, your region? I'm asking it kind of in a regional basis because we know there's a national conversation around that. I was in a LinkedIn thread oh, um, yesterday over the weekend, and the, somebody posed the question, will uh, the universe, college and university system survive in the next 10 to 15 years? And my answer was, yeah, it's not going anywhere. I mean, colleges, there's too much money. There's a lot of tradition. People still want a college education, but how we experience it might be vastly different than it is today. But what does that value conversation look like in your region, Lori? Because there's a big question in value of a degree versus skill stacking, so on and so forth. Well, I, I do think we are going through a huge transformation in higher education as people do question the cost and the outcome at the end of the day. Is it worth it? Um, I just can't even imagine not having gone to college, not having the degree um, as a female, what would my world look like um, if I wouldn't have. That's a very good point. Nobody's brought up before. I think it is. I think it's situational. Um, and I am sure that others who are not white men um, are, are have similar feelings. Like if they're going to um, aspire to be all that they can be, or if they're going to, you know, achieve being all that they can be there, they need a credential. And, you know, like I said, we're having this conversation at our house because my 16 year old isn't so sure that he needs a college degree. And so my husband started pulling up jobs that he said he wants to do. And, you know, they'd say college degree. And, and my brother-in-law said something really interesting too, not long ago. He said, it's kind of like your insurance policy. Like it'll never be taken away from you and it will always help you. But the cost I think is an issue that we in higher education do have to come to terms with. And I think we also have to look at what is, what is in our programs and is it still relevant? I think for too long, we've been very traditional in what we teach and how we teach. And it's time for, it's time for us to really analyze like what, are our outcomes? How, we, how are we assessing what our graduates know and can do? And it's gonna be really critical for us on our campuses to have these conversations. And you know what though? It's at the macro level. It's gotta be beyond our campuses. It's gotta be us as a system, all of us saying, how do we make this affordable for everyone? So everyone has the opportunities and is on an equal playing field and gets the, has the ability to be all that they can be, which I do believe you get from having a degree. Well, I'm going to ask Julie to comment on that, but you know, I like to have a mic drop moment of the, each episode. And I believe that was it. Here we go. That's a mic drop moment. Lot in there to unpack. Julie, what do you think about that? Totally agree. You know, and I'll just say, I think that a lot of times the people who are questioning the value of a college degree, A, have a college degree themselves, and B, Truth. are sending their kids to college. So I sometimes question the motivations. Um, I do agree with Lori that we've got to address the affordability and access issue. You know, I just pulled up a, a quick document, and um, this is from uh, the APLU, I'll have to look that, Association of Public and Land-Grant Universities. So bachelor's degree holders are half as likely to be unemployed, unemployed as their peers. 
with a high school degree and they make $1 million in additional earnings on average over their lifetime. And for an associate's degree or other kind of post-secondary credential, of course, it's gonna be in the middle of that. Um, and so we know that there are economic benefits and we've got to do a better job of making that case, of providing access. Um, and I completely agree with Lori's point that folks who are coming from historically disadvantaged, marginalized backgrounds um, it, it is in some ways even more important because they don't have that, that, uh, that advantage that is often given to uh, folks who are white, folks who are male, folks who are middle class, um, and all of the other you know, types of systemic privileges that we know we have. The, uh, I could go on about that, Joe. Sorry. No, I love it. and I, But it does bring me to my next question for Lori. I, I love the insight because career and technical education is important, right? We need to reskill everybody, especially as we come out of a pandemic. People are reimagining their life, um, changing careers. And if you have any kind of career changer, they're going from something they've always done to something that's new and they want to do it as quickly as possible and put food on the table. Talk about your career in technical education efforts, Lori, and, and that credential building, skilling and getting out and getting a job. Yeah, so this is absolutely a passion of mine, having come, you know, worked for 16 years in the technical college system. Um, it, it's, it's so important that we are connecting to our communities and that we as community and technical colleges are providing uh, local skilled, a local skilled workforce. So we listen to our uh, employers via advisory committee, advisory committees, they guide us on curriculum, tell us what they need, um, how long the programs should be. I think one of the things that we really need to do in this arena, though, is we do need to look at um, the, the stacking of the credentials and, and how long are our programs. You know, we, we have a horticulture program, for example, at our college. Um, and we have a lot of certificates. Well, how many people actually are going to go for a full associate's degree in one shot? Maybe they'll do a couple of certificates and then they'll come back. Or how much is done um, that employers send people back for more training afterwards? And can we do those in condensed period of time? Do they have to be in 16-week blocks? You know, I really think career and technical education um, we just need to um, to definitely micro credential it and make it small, small amounts of um, learning that we that we give certificates uh, for, and then we get them to continue to come back during their career. So uh, we're doing we're doing some of that work. Um, I just had um, the dean of our career and technical education programs working on a strategic plan to really look at what are our certificates and what are our associate degrees and what is the industry need in those areas and what are our student enrollments and kind of match that up and say really what should we be offering and it's just again taking that critical look at what are we doing and what do our business what does our business community need and are we truly listening to them and and how we mesh those two. I think it's just critical work we have to do. Yeah, you know, I, I will say, and I don't know what you guys think. I, I find, uh, you know, I try to stay at the front end of technology and and innovation in higher ed. And of course, the podcast helps because I get to talk to folks like you guys all the time and collate all this information. But there is a lot of confusion around micro-credentialing, micro-bachelors, stacking, badging, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, what are we actually talking about? Because I can sit here and I can have what looks like a really intelligent conversation and just use like four words, micro-credentialing, badging, stacking, and unbundling. And I'm going to talk, people are going to think I know what the hell I'm talking about. But what are we actually talking about? Like, th there's just a lot of confusion in the space, Lori, of, of what do we mean when we talk about that stuff? And how do you operationalize it in a way that somebody really understands? And how do you how would you measure it? Like, there's just a lot there, don't you think? Yeah, and don't you think that's just a trademark of our industry? We make it really yeah, super true. confusing and complicated, right? So true, so true. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I'm reviewing, like even with my staff, we're reviewing documents for board meetings and I'm like, too complicated, too complicated. You know, we've got to, let's get rid of our acronyms. Let's, let's make it understandable. But to me, it's really taking small chunks 
and putting them together. That we just, instead of saying, okay, you've got you've to do two years, here's the curriculum. And before we give you anything, you're gonna finish two years of training with us. No, maybe you can do a semester and get a credential and get a job. Or maybe you wanna go on and you wanna stay and you wanna do more, great. And then you could, you know, a lot of on-ramps and off-ramps. And I know, Joe, that it is very confusing because there are a lot of names. And I think badging, to me, when I hear badging, and Julie, correct me if I'm wrong, that to me is an industry term. That mm -hmm. is industry getting into our work and saying, no, we'll, we'll give them the credential. We'll give them a badge. And so I don't know if that's right or wrong, but even I'm... I sit here as the president and having been in higher education for 25 years, and even I'm confused sometimes at all of the terms that come and go. But I, I think we do that. Maybe we do that on purpose. What do you think, Julie? Well, I think we were, um, you know, our the history of higher ed is actually one of exclusion, right? And community colleges were supposed to be, and we are, uh, the inclusive colleges but we're built on that history. And so when we make it more complicated, we, we just continue that exclusion. So uh, I think that it's unintentional in many cases, but it has impacts of making it harder for people to access what they need. I think we just, it's, it's good to be clear because I think about the term unbundling. Unbundling is really like this buzzword has been for five years in higher ed. We have to unbundle the university experience. And I'm like, isn't that what community college is? Right. right. Like we, uh -huh. community colleges have always been there. They've been unbundled for hundreds of years. Do we really need to unbundle higher education? It already is. And who are we talking about? Are we talking about students? What is a student? Adult student? Are they, are they 18 year old? Who are we talking about? Anyway, I could go on forever, but I won't because Lori, Lori will not stay here. She will leave and then you will shortly after. So instead, I'm going to move to our last two questions that I like to ask every guest. But before I do that, I'm going to ask Julie if she wants to weigh in with any more questions for you, Lori. Julie. Yes, I have one more question, Joe. Thank you. Um, so, Lori, I was looking on your website that your library has received a grant to address loneliness uh, amidst the COVID and to do, looks like a common read of, wow. um, yeah, of, of Vivek Murthy, our Surgeon General, his book together. And I just want to say kudos to that, first of all. Um, there's so much isolation and loneliness that we're seeing in our students and our employees as well. And just to ask, you know, how do you tackle this? Um, this is a real mental health challenge. I think it's a employee and student morale challenge. And so this is one step, but I'd love to hear your thoughts about continuing to tackle this as we continue in this new world that we're all trying to navigate. You know, um, one of the things I think I learned a long time ago in leadership, Julie, is that we have to model behavior, right? That there's no better teacher than modeling. And um, so I think as the CEO of Kishwaukee College, um, I better be showing people what I stand for and model the behavior that I want of others. And I have uh, amazing leaders on this campus who are very passionate about students and getting at the root cause, right? We're data-driven. We get at the root cause of, of the issues. And so they, people have just worked really hard to support. And we're small enough that we can still have that connected feeling. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're the mental health issues, the, um, the loneliness issues, the connection issues, the, you know, the whole phenomena of people leaving and, you know, unfilled positions and um, what do we do to support and encourage each other? It's something that my leadership team discusses weekly at our team meeting. Um, so, because turnover, I, I, for my friends, my peers, um, I think those that have really struggled through COVID are people who've had turnover in their executive team. Mm. And I am, knock on wood, so lucky I have managed to keep my executive team, except my administrative assistant, <laughs> um, I because she she was a real estate broker too. And so, uh, yeah, she didn't really need her administrative yeah. assistant job anymore with the real estate boom. But other than that, um, I'm really lucky to have kept 
my executive team and we work hard together. And, um, and so I think that has emulated through the institution that we do now. Uh, we don't all sing Kumbaya together, <laughs> that's for sure. But we try, I, I try to model the listening and that um, we really are, and we're here for our students, but, we, but we're only here for our students, right? It's like the parent who has to put the airplane mask on first. Mm-hmm. We're only good for our students if we're good for ourselves and each other. We're doing a, a number of things. My HR executive director, Cindy, is working hard right now on professional development opportunities. We have a consulting company that we work with, and he is doing um, a series of Zoom workshops on feeling good about your job, You know, finding joy in your work, and um, just navigating how do we get through these challenging times. And so we're we're just really trying to put resources out there to make people feel good about being a part of our college and being able to serve our students. Amazing. Yeah, (laughs) that's fantastic, Lori, Um, and speaks to the culture that you've built. Um, Real quick, we have given folks an hour a week. um, That is their time for wellness and self-care, and it's a part of, can be a part of their work week. And we offer structured opportunities for that, like exercise or mindfulness, those kinds of things, um, or they can do something that they would wish to do. And especially uh, during the, you know, the really some of the dark days that we've had of the pandemic, I think that's been really helpful, but we know we need to continue to keep our eye on that. Joe, over to your final two questions. All right, here we go. You ready, uh, Lori? Number one. What did we miss about Kish? Almost rhymes. What did we miss about Kish that you want to talk about? Anything that you were hoping to say today? Maybe um, something we forgot to ask you, any initiative you have coming up, you just want to talk about your university briefly, drop the website, whatever you want, your plug section. And then secondly, what do you think the future of higher education is going to look like? Ready, set, go. You know, I think... If I can go a little bit off of um, Kish, my institution, and go to a, just a little bit of a different topic, um, I know Joe that uh, EDUP does a lot with AFIT, and I am uh, an AFIT institution member. Hey, we love AFIT. And, yeah, and uh, it's a great group of people who are uh, dedicated to, great, great group of colleges dedicated to innovation and transformation. And and I'm really pleased that uh, as a leader, I found a group of peers who are committed to transformation and continuous quality improvement um, and always looking at how we do it better and and for our students. So I just wanted to to mention that. I I think as far as our institution, um, I I was able to speak to what I wanted to speak to the future let me of add, higher education. Just quickly add that the AFIT is the Alliance for Innovation and Transformation at afithighered.com for anybody that wants to look them up. Thank you. Um, the future, you know, I, just at lunch, uh, a foundation donor and his a, a man and wife uh, couple were in, and, and we had lunch, the foundation director and I, and a student who they've been supporting through our nursing program. We had lunch together, and we actually started on this conversation about what is the future of, of higher education. Um, they live in a community with Northern Illinois University and uh, our community college, so it has a huge, higher education has a huge impact on our communities and just talking about, you know, where is this going and will we rebound and what will the rebound look like? And, um, you know, I, I wish I had a crystal ball and I wish I could say, I think in the, in the near future, we need to plan for more of the same. Um, some enrollment declines, some additional um, interest in doing online and let's make online education the best we possibly can and use the technologies that are available to do it and recognize and continue to you know back to the beginning conversation joe about marketing use the resources we have to make sure that everybody understands the value of getting a college education and what we bring to our local communities 
um, and our residents and our businesses by being here and, and having people enroll in our colleges. So I think that's about the best we can do. And from there, you know, it's kind of one step at a time. And I, I think we'll get overwhelmed by trying to go a whole lot further than than year to year, you know, this idea of strategic plans that are five years, I think that's out the window. I think strategic plans are year to year. And sometimes goals can't even, you can't even go a whole year without assessing, you know, coming up with some new goals that we're going to have to accomplish. So the rate of change, and, and I wrote my dissertation on leading organizational change. I'm a change person. And I've said, even during COVID, this has been a bit much for me. So um, <laughs> it, it's just, it's just, it's, it's hard times, but you know, again, I think if we can support each other and learn from each other and recognize our value and continue to sing that song, I think we'll be okay. Well, I appreciate that because that is, uh, first of all, one of the reasons that we decided to stick with this whole podcasting thing to bring on leaders like yourself, Lori, and you, Julie, because we need, first of all, you guys need to unload just a little bit. Talk about your college, what you have going on that's great, and then talk about frustrations for other leaders to take bits and pieces from and highlight the great work that I think is tucked. You know what? But what is what it what is elite mean these days? Not as much as it does it used to. I think access and accessibility and affordability mean so much more. And who's doing that? Well, two of these amazing, powerful women on the line with me today. Uh, first of all, my amazing co-host, guest co-host, back again. And I, I rejiggered some things over here, Julie. I have this one for you. Um, my co-host today. Dr. Julie White, the president of Pierce College, Fort Stillicum. Julie, thanks for joining me again. I hope you had another great Edup experience with me. It was really great, Joe, and great to talk to you, Lori. And um, I love your passion and your optimism. Thank you so much. Thank you. And here she is again, ladies and gentlemen, our guest today. She gets the button again, Lord, Dr. Lori Borowitz. She's president of Kishwaukee College. Lori, what an honor to have you today. Thank you so much for coming on the Edup Experience today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And Julie, I feel like I made a new friend today. Awesome. Let's stay in touch, Lori. Likewise. There we go. Now that's what it's all about here at the Edup Experience. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just ed upped. I am Dr. Lorenzo Reyes, Associate Vice President for Workforce Economic and Resource Development at San Juan College. As a founding partner, we value how our model can enhance workforce development. Our model brings together community colleges and employer needs to create credentials that lead to jobs with good family-sustaining wages. The future of community colleges is about meeting learners where they are through short-term industry-recognized credentials. This can put them on the path to degrees and new careers while directly filling real workforce needs of employers. As on one college, success matters is more than a tagline. It is at the heart of what we do. And our model gives us one more opportunity for our students and our communities to succeed.